0: We're going to look at verses 13, uh, 13 through 28. These are basic but very important principles that we need to have down as a church. Because we want to be aware of how Jesus builds his church. What the foundation is, what the power of the church is, and what he calls us to be as the church. We're going to cover these things over the week. So today we're going to talk about the foundation of the church, specifically, we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus prioritized. I don't know, who can tell me quickly, how long was Jesus' earthly ministry, from the time of his baptism to the time of his ascension? Just about three and a half, but really close, about three and a half years, three and a half years. Anybody have a familiar idea can guess, hint, it's in the title, What did Jesus, how did Jesus prioritize his time for those three and a half years? What did he spend the most time doing? Training the disciples. the disciples. Dealing with the twelve. He spent most of his time prioritizing the twelve. And it wasn't because the twelve were better than anybody else, but it was because he had something in mind that he was doing with that prioritizing. And something that we have to understand, because our understanding of Jesus' priorities should set a priority for ourselves. So let's, let's read the text. Let's go through verse 13 to 19 and then we'll, we'll begin to unpack this together. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys... Uh, of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Really important words. Now, the thing that we have to understand in these first verses is, and this is, gets to the, your fill-out part. Do you guys all find it in your book where the fill-out part is? Yeah. 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 you just find can it? Can oh, I don't have a spare pen, then Come on, I can't do everything for you. <laughs> so, if you don't have something, to, I can give you the answers later if you want them. Don't worry. But if this helps you pay attention, that's why we've done it. Alright? So I will I will give you the answers afterwards if you miss any. But here's the first main point. The apostles would become the authoritative any guesses? Standard. Good guess, John Brown. The authoritative standard. Okay? Right? And the first thing that we need to recognize is that when Jesus asked them this question, who do men say that I am, basically? That they were. Here's the next bit, next filling bit. They were not swayed by public opinion, but they were recognizing God's revelation of His Son. So this was not the apostles saying, "Okay, what's the vibe out there? What do people think? Uh, who do people think about Jesus? How can we market this guy?" That's not what they were thinking. They they heard what other people thought. They would have had similar ideas about what other people thought. But they knew who Jesus was because God had revealed that to them specifically. Right? In fact, here's the the idea. It's not just in the first century, but even today. Here's how people have different ideas about Jesus. It's a combination of public opinions that, that come from observing things about Jesus, whether that's hearsay or reading the Bible themselves. Okay? And then their own kind of inherent assumptions about God. That could be from their upbringing. It could just be... Uh, Just what they think is in their own mind. So you have uh, what they observe about Jesus, either in hearsay or even on their own assumptions about God, plus whatever their expectations are for life, i.e. what their circumstances are. So if they have a a difficult life, they might see Jesus as just a guy who showed an example of suffering. He did that, but he's more than that. But they had an easy life. You might think Jesus is just an irrelevant, I can't say that word, not relevant prophet (laughs) from years ago. Okay? Uh, So really, their life circumstances, plus plus whatever whatever they've kind of grown up with, plus whatever they've observed about Jesus, equal their opinion. And often their very public opinion. But it does not equal truth. It's not the same thing. Interesting, some of the things that they thought first century. Some thought Jesus was actually John the Baptist. Maybe John the Baptist risen from the dead. Why? Because John the Baptist preached repentance... And Jesus preached repentance. And there are lots of churches who emphasize repentance. It's a good thing. What about this? Some thought he was Elijah. Why? Elijah did lots of miracles. Jesus did lots of miracles. Miracles still happen today. And there are churches that emphasize what? Miracles. What about this? Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Why do they think he was that? Because Jesus spoke with authority as one of the prophets spoke with authority. And guess what? There's churches today that all they care about is what is said. That was spoken and spoken with authority. And their, their churches are about that. But Jesus wants his church to be about him. It's got to be about him. People need to know who he is and who they're following. This is why we're called the servant's church. With an apostrophe before the S. Because Jesus is the servant and it's his church. We want it to be about him. Now, seeing God do miracles, good thing we should pray for that. Proclaiming God's word authoritatively, absolutely. We do that all the time. Wanting to be those that call people to repentance. Or even one of the things that Jeremiah tended to do. Was call people out for injustice. We ought to be that kind of church. But above all those things. We need to be about Jesus because we cannot build His church or be built by Him as His church on any other foundation but Him. Now listen, it's important because uh, we we know this idea of of being an authoritative standard is something that God's always had. Listen to this. This is uh, the Lord speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I think it's in your notes. Listen to this. And whoever will not listen to my words, this is God speaking, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Pretty heavy standard, isn't it? So God's concern is that whoever speaks in his name, whatever's being said in his name that is actually what he has said. He's really serious about that. He wants there to be an authoritative standard. In fact, listen, the Apostle Paul would say this about the standard. listen to this in Galatians chapter 1 verse 8. Paul says if uh, but even if we, that is myself and the other apostles, even if we, here comes my competition. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So Paul's saying that him and even the apostles are actually under the authority of the revelation that God gave them. You guys get that. You guys understand that. That's super important for what we're talking about today. Amen, Lord. So it's also important for us to recognize that these disciples became apostles by Jesus' choice. Anybody know how many disciples there were? Any guesses? How many disciples? Raise your hand if you think you know. Don't don't shout it out yet. Raise your hand if you think you know the answer. Raise it high. Who's confident? How many disciples? Samuel, how many disciples? Anybody else? Any other guesses? How many disciples? Seventy. Any other disciples? Any, any other kind of? Any guesses? Seventy-seven. All right, Kelly, a random. <laughs> Five hundred. Hey, here's the deal. We don't know how many original disciples they were. All we know is seventy were sent out at one point, and twelve were chosen to be apostles. But here's the important thing that we need to know. The, this, the apostles were first disciples before they were apostles. can you guys still hear me? good listen to this okay uh, Jesus here's how Jesus fixes his, his, this, his apostles it says in these in these in these days Jesus went out to the mountain to pray and and all night he continued in prayer to God and when day came he called his disciples and chose from them 12. Whom he named Apostle. Okay? Disciple means learner. A disciple is someone who wants to understand and follow God's authoritative standards. You following me? An apostle is a sent out one. We're going to talk more about apostleship today. But even more so about how that might apply to us as individual disciples on the last morning. Now, here's the issue about these apostles becoming the authoritative standard, okay? They weren't swayed by public opinion. We already talked about that. But also, this was not about them controlling people's lives, but revealing God's truth. I think some of these are in your notes, but follow me. We see in verse 18, right? What what does it say in verse 18? Let's look at it again. What does Jesus say to Peter after Peter recognizes who God is? And after we see that um, uh, Jesus makes it clear. God made you know this. So after Jesus says to Peter. Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. The Lord revealed this to you, right? After this has happened. He says to Peter. You are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, some traditions, Catholic traditions say that Peter was the first pope. Kind of crazy, since there wasn't really a recognized pope until about the fifth century, but that's what they say. Others say, no, this isn't about Peter. It's about the confession Peter made. There's some truth to that, but actually the language seems pretty clear. He's talking about Peter. Not just what Peter said, but Peter. So what does this mean, okay? Well, here's what it means. Not that Peter was the head, listen, not that he was the head of the church, but he was the first stone of the foundation. Here's what I mean, listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what Peter says, never making himself, listen. Peter says, and you have come to him, that's Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, But in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter says we're all being built up like living stones, Jesus himself being the chief living stone and the cornerstone we'll see to build a house on. Paul says it this way. Listen to this in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, you are members of the household of God. That's every one of us who has faith in Jesus. He says, built on the foundation, listen, of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You see how this works. So when Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you are the rock. I'm going to build my church on. He's like, you're the first stone of the foundation. The other apostles are the rest of the foundation, and the church is the living house being built on that. You guys following me? It's important to know where you are in the house, man. You got to know. The elders are not the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone, and the apostles are the foundation. All right. He says something else that's also a little bit controversial. Verse 19. Look at verse 19 again. In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound. Whatever you loose on earth, it will be loose. There are some groups that want to say, this means anything you, you say with your mouth is going to happen. Now, here's a problem. One, there's a slight truth in this, and that is, that is, listen when we when we speak things that aren't true you know what ends up happening we believe things that aren't true when we speak things that aren't true it helps us believe things that are true it does not create any reality are you guys following me whatever word you use create no reality reality is what it is but you can convince yourself of lies when you continue to speak lies and, and this is a really important thing to get to our heads if you only see yourself As a wretched sinner and nothing else, you're only going to ever be a wretched sinner. God says you are a wretched sinner and Christ saved you and made you a saint. Now if you say, I'm only a saint and nothing else, you're probably going to keep sitting and never repent. If you go, okay, great, I'm a saint and a sinner, great. Do you also recognize that you're a sufferer? Because sometimes what happens is if we don't see who we are, who God says we are, sinner, sufferer, and saint, we don't relate to God the right way, and we don't relate to each other the right way. Now, why is this important? What's this got to do with the keys to the kingdom? Because the keys to the kingdom here is not that Peter gets to say, you're forgiven, you're not, you're in, you're out. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Peter, you and the other apostles lay a foundation that sets the standard of what are the conditions for a right relationship with God. You following me? The reason we can see ourselves as saints, sinners, and sufferers is because the apostles declare us to be. You following me so far? We see this. It also also has this idea that Peter was the first guy to kind of open the doors of the gospel to to people. So you see, Peter was the first one to preach the gospel on Pentecost and see the first fruits of the Jews get saved, right? Peter's the first guy in Acts chapter 10 to preach to the Gentile, Cornelius. He gets to open the door to the Gentiles. That ended up being Paul's main ministry, but Peter opened the door. He has the keys of the kingdom in that sense. But the bigger point that that, that Jesus is making about Peter and about the apostles is, They become the authoritative standard, not to lord over people, but to reveal God's truth, specifically how God wants us to relate to Him through Christ Jesus. Jesus says a similar thing later on after He's resurrected. In John chapter 20, it says, When the resurrected Jesus had said this, he breathed on the apostles and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, when we get to the last study this week, we will talk about how this authority the apostles have applies to us. Okay? But right now, it's really important that you recognize... It's not us that is the foundation. It's not us that's the standard of authority. It's the apostles. Are we clear on that so far? All right. I'm going to lose my voice if it keeps raining. So here's the, here's the second main point from verses 20 and 23, right? Um, I'm doing good. 18 minutes. We're good. <laughs> the apostles would become credible Witness eyewitnesses of the Lord's reality. It would become credible eyewitnesses of the Lord's reality. Remember Peter said, it's not in your notes. Remember when Peter said, I didn't we didn't bring to you cunningly devised fables, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. You guys remember that for one Peter? Okay. The the, the, the idea is that they weren't just saying, hey, we had this mystical experience with this dude named Jesus, and it was really groovy, man. And then what ended up happening is, we thought, other people should have this mystical experiences. And so we thought, hey, let's tell other people about Jesus and see if they have the same mystical experience. It wasn't like that. As much as your shirt looks like that's what it was, it wasn't like that. They saw Jesus, they knew something was different about him, god was working in them they saw he was god's only begotten son and they had no clue what that meant they were still clueless about this we'll see this in the context they were like uh what does that mean but you got to be the messiah you got to be god's chosen king you got to be divine in some way but they didn't fully understand what it meant but they would become credible eyewitnesses of the lord's reality through what through understanding their, their, the death and resurrection of Christ. Look at verse 20, right? So verse 20, Jesus says to them, after Peter makes this great foundation, right? Make this great foundational truth that he will, uh, he and the other apostles will be the foundation for the church of, right? He says, then Jesus strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Does that strike you as odd? Jesus says, hey man, blessed are you, Samar Jonah, God's just given you revelation that will change the world. Don't tell anybody. Why? Verse 21, this is why. Listen. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he was the next word. Must, say it loud. Must. It's absolutely necessary. From that time he began to show the disciples that Jesus must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. See, they needed to understand the necessity of Christ's death and resurrection. They could lay no foundation to reveal who Jesus was without viewing Jesus through the historical reality of His death and resurrection. Are you guys following me? See, here's the reality. Listen. Jesus must not be identified apart from His his suffering and His resurrection. When we are wanting to share our friends about, talk to them about Jesus, it's totally good. In fact, it's a great uh, bridge builder for you to share your story. Share your story. It's awesome but learn to share your story in a way that includes his death and resurrection in a way that doesn't feel artificial. So I was, a, you know, I was lost, I had, I had this happened to me, I had this happened to me, and then someone told me about Jesus, and then I believed in him. I believed in his death and resurrection. And then, no, 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 think about how his story of coming, living a perfect life, dying a substitutionary death, and resurrecting fits into your story of being lost, and then being convicted, and then being found. Because if you don't have that, you have nothing to share. This is why, this, this is why Jesus said to the disciples, listen, don't just tell them you had this great revelation about me. Make sure you wait until this happens. So, okay, this is the other issue, okay? Je- it's connected. Jesus cannot be trusted. Jesus cannot be trusted until we understand his suffering and his resurrection. He can't be trusted. Because here's the reality. He said it had to happen. So if both those bits didn't happen, he can't be trusted. So unless you're convinced that he suffered for you, unless you're convinced that he's alive, as he said he was alive, you can't really trust him. What's the reverse of that? If he really suffered for you, and he's really alive, can we trust him? Oh, come on. Well, can we trust him? Yes. There we go. Let's get some gumption. We can trust him. We can absolutely trust him. This is why he says, listen, I want you to become credible uh, eyewitnesses of my reality, but you got to wait. So were they like, oh, that's, you're right, Jesus, we'll wait for that. Is that what they did? Look at verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you but Jesus turned to Peter and said get behind me Satan see I've never called any of you Satan Jesus Jesus did, I didn't he says get behind me you, Satan you are a hindrance to me these are heavy words aren't they I know we know this we, we've heard this stuff before but let's let this be foundational for us see what's going on here is that Peter is wrongly assuming that if you have a privileged relationship with God, which he was convinced that Jesus had. There's a unique relationship that Jesus had with the Father. He was convinced of that. But he was convinced if you have that relationship, you're not going to suffer. You can hear the same message on the God channel most weeks. There's a whole prosperity gospel that teaches this. You're a privileged child of God. You ain't going to suffer. That's not what Jesus taught. Interesting that uh, Chuck Smith, who started the uh, Carry Chapel movement, was reading kind of what he he said about this. He said, Peter is guilty of believing the philosophy of hell. I like that. Because it is really hellish of us. It is a demonic deception when we think we're going to follow Jesus and not have to suffer. Now, it doesn't mean we have to court suffering. Like, oh, I've I, I got to show that I follow Jesus. I'm going to look for suffering somehow. That's not good either. But it means when we say, Lord, we want to love people like you love people, we're prepared to get hurt by that. It means, God, we want to love you no matter what it costs. We're prepared it's going to cost. You guys following me? See, here's what these guys needed to learn. They needed to understand the necessity of Christ's death and resurrection for sure. But they also needed to learn to set their mind on the things of God. They needed to learn to follow Jesus this way. This is how they were going to become credible witnesses. See, what Jesus does in verse 23 is he corrects Peter by turning him back to God. Look what he says. He says, For you are setting your mind on the things you I'm sorry, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. This is this is Jesus redirecting Peter back to God. Peter, don't look at yourself, man. Don't look at your experience. Don't look at what other people are going to think about. What it means to follow me. Look back to God. Look to God again. This is what it means to be heavenly minded. This is what it means to be truly minded. Uh, Listen to what Peter learned to say about suffering in 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter would later write, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of his time in the flesh No longer for human passions or desires, but for the will of God. He would say just a bit before this, listen, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he would turn this into what we're going to talk about in the third session about how our suffering turns to witness. Listen to this. Peter says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. That is, people that want to persecute you uh, in the name of Jesus. It says, nor be troubled But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So the expectation is you're going to suffer. I still have hope. And as you still have hope and life is hard, doesn't mean you're acting like life isn't hard. We don't fake it to make it. Okay? We can be honest about our sin. We can be honest about our shortcomings. We can be honest about how difficult life is. We can even be honest about going, we don't know what God's doing. But our hope is it ends in resurrection. Our expectation is it ends in resurrection. And because it ends in resurrection, uh, or because we have that hope, we have that hope because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So people go, what's your deal, man? Your life's rubbish. You follow Jesus and your life's horrible. It's a bit rubbish right now. But you know what? It's going to end in resurrection. What are you talking about? No matter what happens to me, it ends in resurrection. How do you know that? Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's witness. Yeah. Right. Last point quickly verses 24 to 28. Each of these could have been its own message. Now I'm thinking maybe it should have been, but that's all right. <laughs> Verse 24, 28. I'm still, I got two and a half minutes. There we go. The apostles would exemplify what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, that's the third. Main point. The apostles would exemplify what it means to follow Jesus. Here's how they would do it. They'd first, they would learn to deny self allegiance. This is going to be, this is why I wish I, I would have maybe taking this as its own message. I, I really do feel like that we're missing this in Western Christianity. That either we do this in a legalistic sense, like I'll deny myself and that'll earn me a place in heaven. Or we ignore this reality altogether because we don't understand it. So let's see what I mean. Let's see what we mean by this. Verse 24. So then, right after all this has happened, right after he says, get behind me Satan and tries to correct Peter. He says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now what does he mean by this? What does it mean to deny ourselves? What does it mean to take up our cross? It doesn't mean ending all enjoyment. It does not mean that. The scriptures, yeah, praise God. The scriptures really clear that God's given us all good things to enjoy. Praise the Lord for that. Isn't that good? So when you're eating that beautiful, juicy, double cheeseburger today that we make, you, you can give thanks and say, oh, Lord, thank you. This is glorious. Thank you, Lord. It means when I go to Sarah today and I say, Babe, I'm sorry that I was short. She says, I forgive you because she always does. And she gives me a big smoosh. I can enjoy (laughs) it. It means, listen. It means not ending all enjoyment, but coming to the end of my self-rule. Your default position as a human being as a sinner is to want to rule your own life. Following Jesus when we start saying God I'm sorry I keep doing this. You deserve to rule my life, Jesus, not me. I want you to think right now of all the relationships in your life. Whether you're married, single, parents are alive or not, whatever the case is, your your family, your your closest friendships. Think about all those relationships. Think about how tempting it is to let those relationships rule your life. Think about how tempting it is for you to want to rule over those relationships or want to assert your self-rule when they're actually wanting you to be a, act like a servant and you don't like it. This is what we do. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. But following Jesus means we say, Okay, Lord, if we're going to follow you, we've got to deny self-allegiance. What do you want? But also, listen, listen. This is not just a better way to live. Okay? That's not the the point. It's not just that. It's the only way to the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? One of the reasons I think we don't see as much, we don't experience as much power of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is not just the supernatural gifts. That's part of it. But I don't just mean that. I think the reason why we feel so weak all the time. It's because we always are trying to do things in our own self-rule. We can call it self-sufficiency if you don't want to call it self-rule. We, 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 we can call it, you know, whatever you want to call it, self-esteem. But it really just always goes back to self-rule. But when we say, Lord, I can't do what you've called me to do, but you can do this in me by your Holy Spirit. So I want to not rule my own life. I want you to rule me. So please fill me with your Holy Spirit because I need your Holy Spirit to do what you call me to do. That's the way to power. I don't mean power as like, well, I feel power. I mean like the strength to love, to do what God would have us to do any moment of any day. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8. He says, If you live according to the flesh, you you will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For those, for all who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. We're going to start talking about what it means to be led by the Spirit uh, next Sunday in church, starting in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit, in, in a, in especially in a, in a context of a body? We'll talk about that. So they had to, they had to learn to deny self-allegiance, but also, listen, they learned... To long for Christ's kingdom. You know what I mean by longing for something? I mean, you just, you're just you just so desirous. Right now, I really could go for some water. <clears throat> There's a bit of a longing. Not that bad, but it's a bit of a longing. Another half an hour? Don't worry, it's not going to happen. And I'd be like, oh, i got to get some water. You guys know what longing is. When you, those of you who, who have been blessed to be married, you know what it's like to fall in love and long for your spouse those of you who've been praying for something and have not seen that prayer answered, you're longing for that prayer to be answered. And all of us as Christians have this this desire in our hearts that says, how long, O Lord, before your kingdom comes in its fullness? How long before I'm no longer a sinner, I'm only a saint? I'm no longer a sufferer, I'm only a saint. How, How long, O Lord? We have a longing for His kingdom. This is what He wants us to have. Listen. Verse 26. Jesus asks, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I I say to you there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of, of man coming in his kingdom. Verse 28 is probably a reference to the Mount of Transfiguration which you can read in the next verses. But here's the points I want you to see. I want you to see these questions as a way, that, that some the, how, how would you answer these questions? These can be some questions for your discussion groups. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What is it profit amount? Seriously, what do you gain by that? Because you do gain something. But what's the end gain? What's the final... What's the ledger sheet going to say at the end? What do you get? What do you lose? So think about that for the discussion question. What do you get? What do you lose? If you pursue your own dream and lose your own soul. Also... Jesus says really clearly here doesn't he that uh, the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done this isn't just about Jesus judging in the negative, it is he is the final judge, I'm so thankful Jesus is the judge, I wouldn't want to be the judge I'd be too lenient on some and too harsh on, on others I would not want to be the judge this is why it's so stupid when we judge each other I'm so thankful Jesus is the judge but it's not just judging negatively, like he's going to cast sinners into hell. He will do that. It's also judging positively. Jesus comes, his reward is with him. Let me ask you this question What would you like, what reward would you like to receive from Jesus at the end of your life? That's another question for your discussion, okay? What reward would you like to receive from Jesus in your life, okay? Now, in closing, I went a little long, but i got to close. In closing, I want you to think about this, okay? The apostles are the authoritative standard. Jesus prioritizes them because without making sure that they knew exactly who he was and exactly what he wanted to be passed on, we would not be sitting here today. What did we just study? What book did we just open? Matthew's book and that's part of God's library which is called the gospels. the gospels or the whole the whole thing the bible, the bible. The bible. okay good sorry I got to make it easier <laughs> where does this come from Old Testament comes from prophets New Testament comes from apostles they are the authoritative standard that's why this is the authoritative standard you understand That's why we spend so much time in this. Not just so we can go, yeah, I get that. I understand. I got the right answers. No. That's not why we do it. We do it because we think, Jesus, you prioritized raising up these 12 leaders to set a standard. We want to prioritize making sure that this standard is known by as many people as possible. Which is one of the reasons why we prioritize raising up leaders. Because in prioritizing raising up leaders, we're trying to equip more leaders who can equip more people to do the work of the ministry. To know Jesus, to make him known. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Can you see why that needs to be a priority? All right.